This Dharma talk by John Sutherland, Baling Haujian's Three Turning Words, was given at Cerro Gordo Temple in Santa Fe, New Mexico, on January 3rd, 2008. Good evening, everyone. Um, I'm really happy that joining us tonight is Sarah Bender Sensei, who is the open source teacher for the um, community in, in Colorado Springs, Springs Mountain Sangha. And it's really a delight to have her here. Um, chime in anytime you want to say anything. Um, the, uh, the Springs Mountain Sangha in Colorado Springs is, um, as, as uh, we were figuring out, what it, it's about 12 or 13 years old as a community, right? And we've been working together for most of that time. And um, it's, a, it's a great, thriving community of wonderful people. And they often come down here for retreats, and people go up there for retreats. So I love having that presence. Obviously. That's, that's really nice. Um, I wanted to um, enter the new year in the company of a series of koans that are called Baoling Haojian's Three Turning Words. Um, Baoling Haojian is one of the old Chinese teachers. We don't know a lot about him. He was, he was alive in the 10th century, and he was one of Yunmen's Dharma successors, and Yunmen is one of the greatest of the old Chinese teachers. Um, and a, a turning word is something that someone says which has the power to cause an epiphany or an awakening in somebody else. And these koans do have that, that power um, and are sort of known for it. And there's something in them that really uh, lays a good foundation for what it is we're doing in this meditation and this practice. So it seemed like a good place to start a new year. Um, as I was saying, we don't know a lot about Balin. One thing we do know is that when he was a Yunmen student, he had a nickname which was Mouthy. And um, depending on the commentator, that, that was either because of his eloquence or his windbagginess. <laughs> it's unclear. Uh, and Yunmen um, would ask questions that were quite common for teachers to ask of their students in those days. And Balin gave these three answers to three of Yunmen's questions that have that were so powerful that they, they come down to us a thousand years later. So they go like this. Uh, the, first, the first very simple question is, what is this school of ours? What is Zen? What, I think, what are we doing? You know, And also, um, what is the inside? What is the thing that we can come to understand in this way? So what is Zen? And Balin replied, Snow in a silver bowl. So that's the first turning word, snow in a silver bowl. The second question that you men asked him is also a seemingly simple one, but very important. What is the way? How do you do it? How do we do it? How do we live? And Balin said, the clear-sighted person falls into a well. Well, that's kind of intriguing, don't you think? The clear-sighted person falls into a well. What's that about? We'll come back to that one, too. And then the third um, exchange between Yunmen and Baling went like this. 
What is the sword so sharp that it would cut a single hair blown against it? So that's already something. That's already an interesting image. And Malin responded um, with maybe one of the most beautiful phrases in the in the Koan literature. Each branch of coral holds up the light of the moon. Each branch of coral holds up the light of the moon. So if the first turning phrase, uh, what is Zen, snow in a silver ball, maybe is saying something about what it is we realize in Zen. The second one, what is the way, the the clear-sighted person falls into a well, is saying something about how we realize it, how we go about realizing it. And then the third, what is that sword so sharp that it would cut a single hair blown against it? Each branch of coral holds up the light of the moon. That says something about what the world looks like when we have realized what, what is inherent in the first two of those questions and answers. So, um, I want to spend a, a few talks on that. We'll just start tonight and see how far we go. And we'll keep coming back to these things. And if they seem mysterious and opaque at the moment, that's fine. Let's see what happens over the next couple of weeks and if there's a way they can open up. And if there's anything that, that really lit up for you, if there's anything that got your attention in any of those phrases, even if you don't understand why, Take it with you, spend time with it, bring it into your meditation, and notice what happens when you do. Okay? So, um, as was the custom in those days, young um, men really liked Baling's answers and said, okay, you go off and be a teacher. And then he said a kind of touching thing. Um, it was the custom in those days when, when, when your teacher, after your teacher had died, every year on the anniversary of your teacher's death, you'd have a memorial service. And it would be kind of a big deal. There would be the bringing in of portraits that were kept hidden the rest of the year, and there would be offerings and sutra sung and feasts, feasted and all of that. And Yunmen said, um, if on the anniversary of my death all you do is restate these three turning words, that would be my legacy. That's all you have to do. And indeed, that is all that Baldwin did every year on the anniversary of Yun Men's death. Okay, so let's begin with the first one. What is that? Snow in a silver bowl. Um, just, I, I would be interested if anybody wanted to say right off the top of their heads, what, what, what does that image feel like to you? Not what do you think it means, but what does it feel like? constellation of qualities here. Anything else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, there's a kind of a contrast, isn't there, between that silver bowl, which seems kind of eternal, and that snow melting, 
as we speak inside of it, right? So I think that's, that's important, that here you have this thing that is really transitory held in this thing which seems quite solid and eternal. And they're both shining with the same light. And they both shine with the same kind of purity. So this is something about form and emptiness. Um, and one of the things that the old Chinese teachers were really trying to do was to take that out of that very abstract sense of form is emptiness, emptiness is form, and really bring it in in a way that we could begin to feel it and begin to understand that, not abstractly, but quite intimately. They had an advantage when they saw the sentence, form is emptiness, emptiness is form, in Chinese. The two characters for form and emptiness had um, second meanings that would be immediately obvious to a Chinese person. So form also means color, and emptiness is also a character used for the sky. So make that substitution. The color of the sky is the sky. The sky is the color of the sky. That's so much more intimate, isn't it? How could you ever divide the sky and the color of the sky? So that's form and emptiness. The sky and the color of the sky. That intimate. That dissolved into each other. That inseparable. So they were interested in images that give a, give a feeling like that, give, a, give a, a felt sense of that union of those two things, of the indissolubility of them, rather than thinking of them as dualities that sort of get mixed up somehow, but as a one whole thing. So snow in a silver bowl was one such image. Um, white heron hidden in the moonlight is another one. That's pretty nice, isn't it? White heron hidden in the, moon, in the moonlight. This the moonlight so bright that you can't really make out the, um, the outline of the heron. Reeds that, that had white blossoms on them, so white flowering reeds covered in snow, so that they lose their individual shape and they just become this sort of mass of snow. Um, white heron in the mist, white horse in the mist, white horse among the white reeds, all of those things, but you get the feeling for what they were trying to do. Um, so let's stay for a moment with white heron in the mist as an image. And there's that sense of not really being able to pick out the place where heron stops and mist begins, or mist stops and heron begins whichever way we look at it. And then imagine that the heron is um, lifting its wings. So the wings lift, and the mist lifts. Everything lifts together. There's no way to separate those things out. So there's something tremendously important here. This is the answer to the question, what is Zen? Zen is the felt experience of a white heron's wings rising in the mist and being unable to tell what is mist and what is wing and to have the whole thing be moving together as a unity. 
So we've moved from duality of form and emptiness to maybe a sense that um, form and emptiness are just aspects of everything. Uh, everything has an aspect, a formal aspect, and everything has an empty aspect. And then I think we move even a step more intimate, which is form and emptiness have absolutely nothing to do with the nature of things. They have everything to do with our perception of them. We make form and emptiness by the way we see things, by the way we think about things. So if that's true, that's interesting because we can change that. (laughs) We can mess with how we see things. We can see things from different perspectives. We can can change and shift the way we see. Um, Some of us were working a while ago with a con that says, uh, when my mind does not arise, everything is blameless. When my mind does not arise, everything is blameless. Now that's the perspective of emptiness, right? When my discriminating mind, the mind of form, isn't there, there's no such thing as right and wrong, good and bad. Everything is blameless. We can shift into that perspective. Um, When we were working with that con, a number of people told stories about moments when suddenly their mind hadn't arisen and everything for a little while was blameless and what that was like. So, um, so the old Chinese teachers were saying, this is really fundamental, this is really important to, to understand how it is your mind which makes form and emptiness and to understand how it's possible to change that. Um, which doesn't mean to have to get rid of anything um, or substitute one thing for another, but to realize that both things really are completely interpenetrated, like the sky and the color of the sky. Um, And to really begin to see things in that way. There was a famous poem of a couple of generations before Balin's Three Turning Words that really influenced him a lot by someone named Shito, Shichien. And in that, he talks about, um, about the bright and the dark. And for him, the dark is the origin of all things. The dark is the great mysterious, the, the, um, what we would call emptiness or the vastness. And everything that is, everything that has existence, are these streams of light that come streaming out of that darkness. But they're not separate from it. You know, they're, they're, the streams of light are exactly um, that dark origin. And he said, you know, we divide things up into the bright and the dark. And for him, the bright was the daylight world. It was the world where we make bright distinctions between things, you know where it's this and not that and this and that other thing and I feel this about that and I like this and I don't like that. That's the right, that's the world of the right. And he said, you know, when all of that falls into the dark, everything is one, everything is the same. There are, those bright distinctions go away. And he says, um, he says when, you're, when you're standing in the bright, um, the, the dark is present, but don't look only with the eyes of the dark. 
So that's to say, when you're standing in the ordinary daily world, it's not enough to just say it's all empty man. You know, that's that's not realistic. That's not true. Um, that kind of dismissal of the the facts and the truth of the bright is is not real. And by the same token, we're always standing in the dark, and the bright is present um, in the dark. So when you're in the dark, don't look only with the eyes of the bright. We're always in the vastness. But if we look only with the eyes of the bright, then we then we're making all of these distinctions and we're thinking they're the important things. You know, I'm Hutu and you're Tutsi. You know, how, whatever distinctions we're making. There's um there's an old Chippewa song that says this the best to me. It's um, Often I go about crying and complaining, and all the while I'm being carried across the sky on a great wind. You know, so we get caught in our crying and our complaining, and the very small, bright view of things. And meanwhile, we are standing in the dark. We are being carried across the sky on a great wind. So he wasn't saying that one viewpoint is better than another. He was saying. Both viewpoints are essential. And if we include both viewpoints all the time, if we get used to that, if that becomes our habit, our custom, then after a while we find that it's not two viewpoints being combined anymore. Um, maybe it's more like foreground and background. That at any given moment, the world of form is more in the foreground and the vastness is in the background, but it can flip in an instant. When we sit, sometimes the vastness is in the foreground, and the world of form has gone into the background. Have you ever had that experience of being out on a hike and you're sort of hiking up the hill and you're reviewing some extremely irritating thing in your life, you know, or you're, you're mulling something over you, you're separating about something, and you get out to some some outlook and you look out at this incredible view and just instantly foreground and background trade places, and all of that just gone as if it never existed. And um, and there is only the bigness of what you're seeing. So um, so that's, an, that's the next step, is when it's foreground and background, and we can feel them changing places. We can feel them moving in and out of each other. And then eventually, um, there isn't even that much movement anymore. There's a kind of one ground. There's a one ground that contains all of that. So um, I think I'll stop here for tonight. As I said, I'm going to keep talking about this. And so if it's feeling a little um, general, that's why we'll get, we'll get into more of the specifics as we go along. But um, any, any questions or comments you have before we close? Is anything you want to say? Human making of phenomena. 
it's one post yeah. And so that's the, the, the way we create that understanding. These talks are made available through your donations to Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works. To learn more about her teachings and to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our donate page at joansutherlanddharmaworks.org.